0: UFO Thinker podcast. Okay, so welcome back to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking with some recent event stuff. Stuff that's been going on of late bits and pieces of UFO-related happenings and various other things of that nature. So joining me once again today is Dave. How are you doing, mate?
1: I'm in good form, Frank, actually. It's more like analysis of sort of events, really, because they're all very much mixed up at the moment, aren't they? We don't quite know what to make of them. So, yes, uh, it should be quite interesting, This little trends and what's happening.
0: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, some patterns emerging and things like that. But, it's uh, yeah, I think it's kind of... um, the, the the void really before the the hearings and things like yeah. that. There's a there's a lot of things that gives you a bit of uh, breathing space, doesn't it, to sort of think about things and how certain threads have been developing and whatnot. So it'd be interesting to get stuck in yeah. uh, to, I mean, to, to I mean, some of that.
1: You're right, because Lou always sort of says, "Dunny," and I remember Chris was saying something today. I was reading one of his articles uh, or one of his comments. Anyway, you know, it's the quiet when they're quiet. It means things are happening, and they've said that consistently over time, and we have seen that. So. Well, you know, you've got a thing that's quite, well, we'll get into it, but there's quite a lot bubbling up on the, or bubbling below the surface, as it were. So, yeah. It's
0: a, mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, basically the main thing we're going to be chatting about is some of the kind of revelations and, and corroborations, if you will, from uh, the new Jacques Vallée book, um, Forbidden Science, Volume 5, Pacific Heights, and how that links to the kind of the the Wilson Davis memo and, and all these various things that me and you have spoke about a lot, Dave, in terms of the, uh, you know, the kind of the core control group of holding on to all the, all the goodies in terms of crash retrievals, reverse engineering and uh, all that kind of thing. So I'll just run down a bit of uh, info about Jacques Vallée and about the Wilson notes and then we'll just get into talking about it. Um, I always like to give a bit of background just in case anybody's uh, not familiar with some of these details and and some of the names and and, uh, documents and things and uh, anybody who already is, a little bit of a refresher. It's always good to give myself a little bit bit of a refresher as well because there's a lot of uh, details. So Dr. Jacques Vallée has uh, long been regarded as, as kind of one of the most respected and senior scientific investigators of unidentified aerial phenomena, UFOs, UAP, whatever you want to call them. He was also the uh, well-known as being the inspiration for the French UFO researcher in uh, Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He's investigated reports of UFOs, all over the world basically, and has worked on you know u s and and french government projects uh valet studied uh, mathematics and also received uh, an ms in astrophysics at lille university and then uh started working as a an as- astronomer for the the french space committee working at the paris observatory and uh, in nineteen sixty two I always forget how long Jacques Vallée has actually been out of this. You know, when you, when you read some of these dates and you think 1962, wow, that's oh, a long God time God. ago. Um, he, he began working as um, an astronomer at the University of Texas uh, at Austin. And he, he co-developed uh, the first computer-based detailed map of Mars for, for NASA. And the list of, of uh, accolades goes on and on and on. Including working as a close associate of Dr. J. Allen Hynek, um, the the U.S. Air Force's top scientific consultant on UFOs under uh, Project Blue Book, and as I say, the the list goes on and on. Um, in the early two thousands, Valet co founded a venture capital firm in Silicon Valley, and he also worked as a member of the scientific advisory board of Bigelow Aerospace and uh, conducted his own private research for Bigelow uh, and and various partners, including uh, the Pentagon's now declassified UFO program that we all know as uh, ATIP. And um, the Forbidden Science series of of books is kind of what we're going to be talking about specifically today, is Valet's journal entries, with each edition covering a, a specified number of years so volume one covered 1957 to 69 and the series kind of went through the years until we arrive at this latest edition which covers uh, what I find a very interesting range of 2000 to 2009. Now this is a very interesting range of years due to what we now know was was going on behind the scenes at that time. This was the time frame where lots of interesting things were happening and we didn't know at that moment i certainly didn't but now the details have emerged we can sort of paint a clearer picture of uh, of what was going on behind the scenes and one of the really big things in that time frame is the wilson davis notes so again for anyone who, who might not be aware uh, or a refresher for those who, who are already aware uh, this particular document is a is a basically a memorandum that eric davis wrote um or allegedly wrote but i think it's not really allegedly anymore at this point um which he describes his meeting with admiral tom wilson uh, in 2002 so eric davis actually met with admiral wilson in 2002 and davis had been trying to find information on a crash retrieval's program uh, kind of a ufo you know control group and we now know that this search for that program or that group was basically in collaboration with many other names and faces that we're all quite familiar with in the ufo topic today uh, who were kind of loosely affiliated in in various different forms uh, over the years uh, at that point uh, as part of the atp working group and uh, davis had been advised by will miller to actually speak to uh wilson uh, about this to get some good info, uh, and Oak Shannon and Miller basically encouraged Wilson to talk to him because he wasn't interested in fame or publicity, etc., and was supposedly trustworthy. And it's since come out that Oak Shannon has basically verified his role in all of this, uh, and again, further you know, verifying that legitimacy of the document. It is worth mentioning that Wilson uh, still completely denies that this meeting ever took place, denied that he knows Davis and whatnot. Uh, But then again, it also says in the notes that if word ever got out, Wilson would deny everything. So that's one of those. Wilson's not necessarily going to put his name to it, but if you read between the lines, um, I personally think there's very little doubt left as to whether or not that meeting took place. So in this particular meeting uh, with... Davis, Admiral Wilson, related that uh, in April 1997 he'd actually met with Will Miller, uh, Edgar Mitchell and Stephen Greer, who'd been searching for information on this, and um, privately behind the scenes discussing UFOs with government and military officials. And uh, after this, Wilson and Miller actually spoke privately with Miller, asking about crash retrieval programs, where they might be, who had access to them and whatnot. Uh, Wilson very intrigued because he, he'd heard about US and foreign government in, encounters and kind of his his interest was kind of piqued and really started digging into all of this. Now I'll let you go into some details uh, on this, Dave, about what valet's journals kind of help to corroborate and that kind of thing. But the basic crux of it all is that Admiral Wilson became very interested in this top secret hidden kind of program, group, whatever you want to call it. And he became sort of aware through uh, various people, and he was told that this group, this these programs were holding non-human technology. Um, and Admiral Wilson, according to the notes, pulled every string and called in a lot of favors to find the truth about what was going on with all of this. And he found out a fair bit. Um, but eventually basically came up against a, a bit of a brick wall trying to dig any further and was denied access, denied his, his very senior position at the time uh, as a deputy director of the DIA and an assistant joint chief uh, of staff, the J2. So anyway, before I, I waffle on anymore, uh, Dave, what do you reckon about some of the interesting points that um, that have been mentioned in, in this uh, valet's latest journals and how it links to, to the Wilson docks? Well,
1: there's quite a lot to go at actually, Frank. So I'll we'll probably just take it in bite sized chunks and just have a bit of a chat about you, really. I know, interestingly, about Valley, he's a big computer database expert. He learned to do that while he was an astronomer. And how he got on working with Heinick was that he actually was compiling a big database for Blue Book and a few other things. So, and it's, I'm reading it, I'm reading this thing at the moment. I'm halfway through it. I've got, I'm half reading a load of books. But if you read, as you're reading the diaries, He's jetting off to all these meetings about this new IT startup and all the rest of it. So that's clearly how he's made his money. And they reckon that Valet did the database for RSAP and for Bigelow particularly. And that's the big one that we've heard a few people mention, or George Knapp and a few others. So, you know, he's a real interesting computer guy, even though he's an astronomer and a real top scientist. That's like his claim. So, so he's a really interesting guy, and he's obviously real very well connected and moves in a few circles. I mean, the thing about what he does, Valet, really, indeed, in this these latest set of diaries, really, he corroborates a lot around the Wilson Davis thing, and we found this in a few things like the Loose Fred document. Wilson Davis is like this sort of really important document, and we find keep finding different things corroborating it. And if you think about Loose Freds that talked about the Wilson Davis documents, and because it's got a lot of detail in it, Wilson Davis. And the more we go into it, and the more that gets uncovered, the more we see, you know, that it's accurate, really. Uh, So the first thing is, uh, Valet talks about a conversation now with Edgar Mitchell, who virtually corroborates the meeting that they had with, uh, that they talked about with Admiral Wilson and uh, the other guy you mentioned. Uh, they 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 had the meeting there, and they corroborated that they had that actually took place. And so that's quite an important corroboration about how it started, you know, whether it was all accurate and and all the rest of it. So that was the first thing, because you had a big corroboration with Edgar Mitchell of a lot of that start story, which a lot of people who attacked the Wilson Davies say, oh, that didn't happen. No, no, there was not that. And Wilson had actually spoke to Mitchell about a lot of this process he'd been through, talks about what had happened, and even got back to him and confirmed that he could, about the existence of a secret program because he said to him, well, if I do find out, I'll tell you. And so that was massive in itself. Uh, Edgar Mitchell provided this whole other like opposite, you know, the missing pieces of a puzzle. He provided that one of the missing pieces and corroborated a lot of what was said in those notes. So again, if they were made up, that's probably why would he know all that and why would he make that, you know, he wouldn't be able to make something up, you know, just out of his mind, would he? That adds to the veracity of the document. But the other thing is, valet. Sorry, do you want to say anything, Frank? There.
0: No, go ahead. No, No, you carry on, mate. No, no, sorry. I just, I think I just, I just flinched. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's part of all the
1: the disclosure. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's it.
1: (laughs) Oh, sorry, mate. Uh, Anyway, so but the next thing then is valet is moving in these circles and he's talking, and the the next thing he talks about, he has a meeting or he hears about a general Jack Sheehan who was a four-star general. And he'd also found out, uh, and he was the Atlantic commander for, for NATO, se- senior commander, and he'd also found out, been briefed about what had been going on, uh, and also found out $9 billion was missing, uh, you know, in the black budgets and, and, and traced it back to, again, this secret program that was going on. So you've got another guy who comes, so you've got Wilson who's come across effectively, you know, a, a, you know, reverse engineering program effectively at lockheed or whatever then you get another general uh, or or you know another senior military person who's found out about through another route found out about this nine billion missing uh you know in a black black projects so that's re- really interesting He also talked. he also talks about the mj12 documents the valley and said oh yeah well i've seen something like that as well so that's an interesting little uh it's also a little uh, interesting confirmation, and, and Valet was talking to him with Hal off as well, and a fellow, fellow called Joe Ferridge from Arch. I can't, I can't pronounce his name anyway, but he was like a, a sort of a tech startup, uh, you know, dot com startup billionaire who happened to lose a lot of his money. But he was really into UFOs as well. The point about that is you've got another general who's found out. Uh, found out about it, and apparently he was admitted into one of the hangars and actually allowed to touch a craft which was what he told them so another incredible you know a, you know, a reverse alien non-human intelligence craft so that's something else and then finally and i think probably most amazingly even more amazing than wilson is a fellow called charles baucher now he was the Controller General of the U.S. for 15 years. And listeners may remember that you give a detailed breakdown of the NDAA and, uh, talks about how important the Comptroller General was, how powerful, like the massive auditor of the entire government, really powerful figure. And apparently he uncovered, because he was again chasing black money and appropriations doing an audit, he actually uncovered... This reverse engineering programme. Now I must apologize at this point, because on the round table, I I said it may be a golf. I think it was Dick DeMartio, something like that. I thought he might have been the famous auditor who's in the Wilson Davis documents, uh, who apparently nearly uncovered the old thing. They make a reference to that in the Wilson Davis documents. But obviously, according to Valet and his sources, it was actually this Charles Balcher, and he was Comptroller General all through the Reagan years, through the Bush years, and it may be. I think he finished in ninety-five. I'm not entirely sure. So anyway, uh, that so that's that's quite important. That now it so apparently he nearly shut them down, and it, it, he again was giving it admittance to the hangar, seeing what sort of stuff, and following them, seeing him according to the Wilson notes and confirmed by Valley. They actually changed the rules again so that people just couldn't get access into those kind of programs. And it was basically the contractors, they could say whether somebody had a need to know. And that was why Wilson, who was allegedly one of the top intelligence people in the country, was told he didn't have a need to know, and they could deny him access to these private contractors. Now, I don't believe that a private contractor would be given that power by the US intelligence services without somebody high up in the government knowing about that they wouldn't just say all right contractors you just keep it all secret and don't let any of us know somebody behind the scenes must know about that and be comfortable giving that the information so basically frank you've got three people very senior and i couldn't believe the comptroller general was the actual person who was the auditor who nearly found it out and blew the whole thing in this period of 12 years that nearly blew the lid off uh, these reverse-engineered programs. So I, to me, I thought that was really important and give a, not only validation to the Wilson documents, but just showed how close to the wind he must have been sailing, even with these ultra-secret programs. So I don't know what you think about all that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, when, I, when I've been thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, it really occurs to me that like if you're deep into this topic and you're looking into this kind of thing all the time, People, you know, ah, the Wilson Davis notes, all these kind of things just roll off the tongue. But if you imagine, for somebody who perhaps isn't that familiar with it, like the thought of an extremely high up, you know, member of the the US military getting uh, an inkling that there's non human technology in a hangar being controlled by some secret. Group or a group of programs, whatever it might be, you know, that, that's basically operating outside of the the normal oversight structures and whatnot. That is pretty mind blowing, isn't it? Like, regardless of even whether or not they got access to it or found any, you know, any any actual facts or went into the warehouse or whatever it might be, even just that alone is pretty major. And when you think about the fact that that's basically what the wilson notes are all about aren't they you know it's, it's somebody in that position who's been having a discussion about exactly that but then that really is is in a way it's only the tip of the iceberg because like you said you've, you've also got that uh, you know a, a comptroller general and another very very high up general as well who've, who've been basically barking up the same tree and it's really quite fascinating and, and, and mind-blowing to think you know that that information which is kind of widely discussed in in the ufo community you know if that was more publicly known i think it could really sort of make some ripples you know what i mean
1: yeah remember the only people who would have known about that document as well would have been the NEDS group because eric davis did those notes of wilson purely as a private thing to show them so only valet would have known about that And this was in the noughties, as it were, and they were talking about it. And he's getting all this corroboration as well. So it it really is. It's amazing, really, and it does make you think what all these revelations, as you were sort of hinting at now, what what that did to the security. And you've got to ask, uh, given the scrutiny now, what sort of, uh, how they might view that security now. Because you imagine if the legislation would have been passed at the moment, and they would have known that they, they could have been, you know, been for a committee or something like that. it really made you think about uh, how you sort of covered things up, how you covered your tracks. Yeah, so it's it's absolutely fascinating. Should, 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 should we go a bit more into it? Do you have anything else to say on that there? Frank?
0: Yeah, well... Uh, yeah, you you crack on. Is there another couple of points you wanted to oh, get to? There's a
1: fair few. So if you wanted to say something now, that's fine. You, you carry on. Yes.
0: Yeah, so. Well, yeah. I mean, one one point uh, that that's worth mentioning kind of follows on from what you were saying there. You know that, like, if 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 all of these efforts in the past have, have got pretty close, these various individuals who have been digging into this have got pretty close to to blowing the lid off it. You know, um, it does make you think about. What reaction the actual group of who are in charge of the good stuff would have actually had, and you know, I I must admit, you know, we we think about you know progress at the moment and that kind of thing, but with a bit of a pessimist cap on for a second, you know, I, I think we will get some some very interesting details, especially for those who know you know a, a lot about this topic we will get some things that will verify this and verify that but when it comes to info coming out that would you know sort of convince the the wider public you know i kind of find it a bit doubtful really especially considering the toughening up of the the procedures around keeping all this stuff locked away but uh, wilson w- was told you know a quote from the actual wilson notes my ticket's alone were not enough i didn't meet the special criteria So, need to know authorization was was not being granted. Now, you know, if if security around these programs is is that tight, you know, if there really is that capability to exist in the shadows without oversight, and you know, even to be able to dodge somebody like Wilson with that level of clearance when he's trying to gain access, where does that leave us now? You know, in this in this day and age, we've got very good progress. Congress is asking questions, but you know, is it going to be any different? What do you reckon?
1: Well, I reckon it's a bit of a different ball game, to be honest with you. I mean, around about that time, there was nobody knew about any of this. It wasn't uh, a conversation. It had been successfully squelched by the, you know, core group. And there's just people were seen as being on the lunatic fringe. Not all UFO people, but most of them were relegated to that. It's a bit different now, I would suggest. And and, uh, I know what you mean, because you are right, but I think, the difference is there's been a concerted effort since 2017 from people who are insiders who know sort of where the bodies are buried and also have deployed Congress in a way that, you know, because that's the only thing. It's like kryptonite to these people, I think, Congress. In that They're the only people who can break open this accountability to a certain extent anyway. So, so I think it's a different scenario in, the, uh, in those times. People weren't under any pressure. Now, now they are under any pressure. Now, they are under pressure. If you remember in the NDAA Act, they've got to report anything they find within 72 hours. And I often thought, think, and I said to you, I think, that might be so they can't move the stuff or easily move the stuff. But again, to your point, I suppose what measures, knowing all this, what would they take and how much cal- could they move the stuff? Are they dependent on a lot of heavy machinery and labs? They can't move it. Are they prepared to tough it out? And is it getting so much pressure for some of these people that they're looking at some serious jail time if they're now in these activities, you know, they could be exposed. And so there may be some people who say, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not moving it. I'm not going to purge myself. I'm not. It may be a different ball game, but to your point, Frank, it may well be we only get to a certain point. We might see the craft or bits of material and the rest of it's hidden away somewhere we never even hear about. So... I don't know. I think the position situation is different, but uh, what we don't know is what kind of countermeasures they've, they've done since then, which is your point, isn't it? What have they done um, one of your points? So, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's different, but we might still only get half the tail, you know, uh, depending on how they've covered it up. I think it's how much whether, how committed they are to keeping this core secret, and that'll be determined in turn by how, shocking or substantial or whatever whatever it is they're covering up is i think
0: yeah definitely and and, uh, don't don't get me wrong i am quite optimistic about the talk of whistleblowers and and all the bits and pieces i suppose i'm sort of i do this a lot as you as you know dave because we discuss things play devil's advocate with myself kind of thing (laughs) do you know what i mean so do a bit of that kind of thing but yeah essentially what i'm getting at is like much as I am optimistic about progress recently from, you know, the Congress side of things and hearings, whistleblowers and whatnot, we are talking about basically multiple previous occasions where, you know, the the greatest secret ever kept, something that would, you know, change everything for humans. You know, th- this secret has been kept by a group and that group's cover was almost blown, you know, basically decades ago now. And they must have taken steps since then, you know, obviously, covers almost blown once. You're going to be like, "Oh, we better tighten things up a bit." Second time, getting a bit worried. By the third time, you know, perhaps an overhauls in order kind of thing. And uh, you know, wonder what steps were taken, things being locked up tighter than ever before, and whatnot. And you know, there's just there's, there's so much time since those previous security scares. You know, I mean, we don't actually know exactly. What is being held in terms of you know materials, technology, you know even bodies, perhaps, but you know imagine Congress does get access, you know best case scenario, the absolute dream of uh, of a UFO researcher, like a live broadcast of, of folks walking up to the warehouse with crowbars. you know <laughs> get access right. uh, got your HD cameras on, and they bust open the door there's not going to be like a scientist there caught red-handed, oops, you know, better put the (laughs) grape back in the the liquid or whatever, do you know what I mean? There's most likely going to be sort of like an empty warehouse, you know, perhaps everything has been relocated to another version, like a clone version of the program, but buried even deeper, but you leave the original one there as as a shell, so throw a bone, as it were, so, you know, people think they've cracked it, but actually the real good stuff's been moved. And I know it's quite speculative, this, but, Basically, what I'm saying is, you know, they're not going to leave whatever the best stuff is right there to be discovered in a location or a program that had almost been cover had been blown three times, and you know the the efforts they've gone to in terms of keeping this secret, you know, I suppose they're going to they're going to be you know sort of improved in terms of the the, the ability to be able to keep that secret, especially. You know, if they have had those situations with the cover being blown, and you know what you were talking about, there is quite interesting as well. The what is it, a nine billion black yeah. hole was it, or something yeah, along yeah. the lines
1: of that? Which isn't probably much compared to some of them. What the fuck? Because it's trillions involved in some of the black spending. But yeah, that was a lot of money because he noticed on yeah. a specific program
0: that's it yeah but i mean even even still you know nine billion gives you a lot of room for maneuver in terms of y- your efforts to keep things secret and whatnot and who knows maybe it's a lot more than that as a result of the cover being blown almost you know what i mean it's yeah it, it's just um you know yeah it, it, I'm, I'm weighing up my uh my, my op- optimistic side and my pessimistic side at the moment. I'm not exactly sure who's going to win in the tug of war there I, between the... <laughs> I, I think it's turning
1: into a bit of a like a crime case, like, you know, with a mafia or whatever, you know, where they actually get... Are they going to get a squealer, Frank? That's the thing. Is somebody yeah. going to tell? Because let's give it a scenario here. We, get, we know there's whistleblowers coming for us. I've worked on this programme. Somebody apparently has given papers but show where they are. So the Senate people roll up to the anger and open it, and it's empty. They're not just going to go, oh, well, that was a wound. What a mistake that was. They're going to say, well, hang on. The papers say this. They were in charge of this. They were in charge of that. And they're going to start following the paper trail. And at some point, they're going to grasp the collar of somebody who's implicated in this, and they're going to have to either say, I don't know what you're talking about, or they're going to have to be a rat, as it would be in the uh, parlance of the mafia movies. And I think uh, that's... Because it was interesting, as you've been talking, as we've been talking about this, because what's the interesting thing about you playing devil's advocate is we walk further down that road of what if and what's going to happen, and it's very useful to think about that. Because I hadn't thought that till a couple of, you know, because you don't tend to, in your mind, take it further than a certain point. But again, what happens when the anger's empty? It's not as simple as, oh, well, well, foiled again, and we all roll off like they do on the telly. It's not going to be like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But yeah, I don't yeah, Very, very interesting. So, and and I do think we're getting to a point when we get to some of the people. You're going to have the core group who are very committed, who maybe know whatever the secret is. But they're going to have a lot of people who help them who don't ask questions, but are part of that effort. And some of them may be seriously criminally implicated because all this is probably highly illegal. What they're doing or predicated on a very dodgy legal premise of an executive order from. President Truman or, or Eisenhower, or whoever. So a lot of people, as we've seen in America, long time in America, you serve a lot of times, 10 years, 20 years, not like uh, in Europe or in Britain where the sentences are lower. So you're looking at some quite serious stuff and, and people, you know, middle-class, professional people, do they really want to spend 30 years in prison? Or are they going to say something? So I think there's a lot of, I mean, I might be being optimistic and I do take your point, so. And I think it's valid, but I do think the sort of, it might start to crumble a little bit. And the other thing about keeping a car secret that only a few people know about, even if it's the most important thing in the world, if you don't know about it, you're not going to go die on a cross for it, are you? You know, so that's one of the problems of a big secret. Uh, you might not know enough to know that you need to defend it, you know. Anyway, I've, I've gone off on one a little bit there, but you know
0: what I mean. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I think another interesting point is how much things have changed as well over all that time. You know, we're talking about Jacques Vallée and he's been interested in this topic Mm. since all them decades ago. You know, things just in terms of technology and social media and whatnot nowadays are so much different. Like, you know, if there was a situation where, you know, like it was close to the cover being blown once again it could play out quite differently in this day and age you know something being leaked onto the internet something like that which you know perhaps if you're going back 20 30 years that just wouldn't have been a possibility so who knows if there is another i mean it's also interesting to think whether there might have been more cases than you know we're talking about basically the three times there where sort of the cover has almost been blown. There could well be more as well in, in more more recent years that we just don't know mm-hmm. about yet. Absolutely. You know, that that's an interesting one to ponder as well. Yeah. But,
1: yeah, yeah any other that,
0: bits from the valet no, stuff that you wanted well, to go there's into? There's a
1: good few. But I don't, we'll go just ahead, go yeah, let Yeah, yeah but, but, yeah, I think I think Lou and the RSAP people also got pretty close as well. And I reckon a lot of people can sort of see through the sort of dirty glass window at these things. They just can't reach him. Well, I think that, And I think that's been the impression I've got from Chris Mellon, Lou. Of, you know, I was listening to them all. How will put off, you know, they're all various degrees into what they can see. We saw that again in the loose threads. And when you were talking to a meager point about what he thinks about what it's like now. And so, uh, yeah, it's just about if we can just uncover that bit. So does it, I think, yeah, and maybe that is what's prompted all this effort this 2017 effort you know because they knew they found out about the existence thought we're going to have to uncover it anyway well i'll just go through a few things there on the valet stuff but there's one more major thing there's a couple of minor things valet confirmed about general i think it was general donan flickhenger he was a medical doctor who did some alien autopsies back in from roswell and after that he just casually confirmed that to valet in his notes now all right, we don't know the truth of that and all the rest of it, and we know the Santilli film was discredited and all the rest of it, but that's sort of, again, just some casual proof only of autopsies from Crash, crash Craft, but that that's pretty major. Another absolutely mega one, which is a particular sort of favourite uh, of mine, is that George Bush confirmed to Eric Davis in a private conversation after he joined the Association of Former Intelligence Officers, but they're all members of... Uh, John Ramirez is a member of that as well. He's mentioned that in a different way. Anyway, he, he, confirmed, he confirmed to him that the Holman Air Force Base was real because David said, oh, is it ever, ever hoax that, George? Went, oh, no, no, it's real. The security was obscene, I think the word he used. It was incredible. Yeah, it did happen. And for people who don't know, that's uh, rumoured, rumored, I think it was in 62, that an alien craft actually landed at Holman Air Force Base. There was three of them. One of them landed. Somebody got out looking human-like, but with odd features, with sort of uh, like classical clothing in some ways. They got out and shook hands with uh, the air force officer and went in to talk to. Them. So it was a, that's just incredible. I mean, apparently the film from uh, UFOs past, present, and future. There's the first two seconds because it was all recorded, all filmed, and they were going to put it in a film that of that film, but they bottled out the gum in the last minute and pulled it out. So apparently. In part of that footage you see the craft landing, the city's craft approach your home and air force base. That's actually supposed to be real footage. But whatever the truth of that is, just concentrate again on one of these amazing things we're talking about as if it's just commonplace. A non human intelligence craft lands at an Air Force Base, gets out, presumably by arrangement, and starts talking to the US Air Force officer, Colonel, whatever it is. So that and George Bush confirmed that that was real. George Bush Senior confirmed it was real to Eric Davis. Now, unless Eric's just making it up and he's not a man who's known prone, known for lying, by all accounts, that's just mad. Chris Sharp's had it confirmed from a couple of sources that Holman Air Force Base actually happened. So what was seen as quite a weird no-no, that couldn't have happened, is actually getting confirmation in both Valais' thing and in other sources. So, I mean, that's pretty... I mean, I don't know if there's much we can say about that, but just the thought of that is... Uh, it is just crazy uh, we can move on to something a bit more substantive which is this tale of a zodiac thing which is quite important as well i don't know if you want to go into that frank quickly because we could spend all day on the valet stuff but uh, this is quite an important one basically uh, in the at, the at the end of the uh, the uh, wilson documents he mentioned somebody called Mary Elliot, who apparently is the real deal, and apparently she worked on a reverse engineering program at a TWR, I think it's called it. TRW, I should say. And uh, what happened with her is, she, she actually, her tale apparently was serialized in UFO magazine in 1998 in a free parter by her friend and her lawyer uh, writing for that magazine under a pseudonym. And the reason is she didn't, she wanted to get the story out, but she couldn't quite get, you know, she couldn't, did, couldn't break a security off. So she did, did it in that way. So it's really interesting. Now, Derek, I, I talk about what she said in a minute. The story, Richard Dolan sort of give a link to the three episodes, which I've read actually. But Eric Davis actually says the real story is that uh, the, 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 the real story was that, uh, she was attended TRW, and they had a reverse engineering program on actually going on for decades. So uh, that, that was actually what she came to. I just come, What I'll do, Frank, I'll just go to the story of what she actually told, and it's quite interesting. Basically, it's a fictional account with a guy called Sedge Masters, which is a brilliant name. He's the hero. And he's firstly taken into a, re- into a re-engineering program, and then he goes through various things. But he reveals certain facts about the reverse engineering program. A, they've got specialist recovery teams secondly 11 craft were recovered between 1947 and 88 that's an interesting statistic so that could be correct if we think this testimony is a way of masking the the, the truth they've got a lot of craft actually stored in holding, uh, holding bays uh they've got also stuff from the the Roswell stuff that they've actually from the Roswell crash they established there was four different alien races are the established that, comparing some of the crashes that they got. And they've got craft that are actually being re-engineered. Also in that thing, Zodiac itself is the, the general name apparently used for more specific sort of programs that deal with reverse engineering. So Zodiac is the coverall name. And then you've got like Project Aquarius, might be Project Taurus, whatever. But I've heard of a Project Aquarius and a lot of quite serious people talking about that. So basically, within this sort of fictional account of the UFO magazine, there's a lot of truth sort of uh, around it, really. And so it's pretty, it's pretty amazing, really. And as I say, Eric Davis actually went through her story to the NIDS group. And uh, also, it's, they had actually a remote viewing expert there as well, which was pretty incredible. Now, if you can imagine that, they've got a remote viewing person, they had another technical person. So there's also this silent comes into the program again. But it was obviously pretty well developed, and Davis knew all about it. So that's yet another corroboration of the uh, of the actual uh, notes, you know, the, the Wilson Davis notes. So, yeah, that's pretty pretty crazy, actually. Uh, just Yeah, there's another thing that Eric Davis said as part of that, apparently... In fact, found there was 10 volumes of information just on the Roswell craft at Wright Patterson itself, if you can imagine that. So there's a big cache of information there. And some of those records actually say that there were two manta, manta craft that crashed. So the shape of one like a manta ray that crashed. Now, if you think about the sighting by, I think it was Kenneth Arnold in 47, the one that kicked it all off, the famous sighting, those craft were sort of defined as manta ray in the shape, that sort of shape. So that's an interesting connection. The point is, in Vallée's diaries, this person who was mentioning the Wilson notes obviously had a role within this re-engineering program. And this actual account in a UFO magazine actually gave a picture of a program that had gone on for decades, held craft, recovered craft, and, you know, was seriously supported by, you know, by, it was hidden in private industry, basically. So, yeah, very, very significant. And uh, I mean, I'm trying to rush through the details there, but hopefully that gives you a picture, a rough picture of the sort of thing Valet's talking about. And it's absolutely fascinating to read all this stuff, right?
0: Yeah, no, spot on Dave and like you say I mean obviously the 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 full detail can be found in the actual Wilson Davis notes and reading the entire of uh, of Jacques Vallée's book and whatnot but yeah we're, the main thing is to I guess to kind of pull out the you know the the main points and I think it's uh it, you know it's it's very important to consider as well with Jacques Vallée who this guy actually is. It's why I tried to give a bit of that background earlier on, right at the beginning, because I think that's very important. It's not just some bloke who's read, who's wrote a book and he said loads of wacky stuff. Cause plenty of people out there do that. But Jacques Vallée is very carefully considered in his approach to all of this. And, you know, he's, he's clearly a, you know, a, a highly credible individual and, and all of the people that, uh, that you're talking about there in terms of Eric Davis and whatnot, if you look into these people, you know, the, you know, top-level scientists who've been contracted by the U.S. government to work on projects and whatnot. It's not just some, you know, wacky guy who who was in there for six months doing an internship and then got kicked out, you know, for for doing something weird. You know, these are people who have had, like, long-running contracts with the government. Like, the U.S. government, as powerful as it is, you know, they they don't hire just anybody. You know, these are are top people, and Jack Vallee has been right in there with all of them for a long long time and when you consider the the provenance of of where this information has actually come from i think it makes it all the more compelling and some of those things that you were discussing there can can sound pretty out there but if you consider how where that information has actually come from and the people who have brought that information forward it makes it all the more interesting and you know something i've talked about quite a bit is where is the actual kind of Where's the line? You know, we talk about crash retrievals and things like that, but where's the line between like a government crash retrieval program, a military crash retrieval program that looks for, you know, stuff that falls out of the sky? Could be anything, could be, you know, Russian, could be Chinese, could be some other adversary, you know, it could just be some kind of strange meteor. But there are actually multiple points in the Wilson Davis notes. And again, from Uh, some of the points mentioned in, in valet's recent journals where that specific question is asked you know and it is it is absolutely refuted that it could be anything to do with adversarial tech and then just to take that a step further you know it would appear that the people the highly credible people i've just been talking about are absolutely convinced that there are clear like not just a lump of something that looks a bit weird that's got strange properties, but actual irrefutable clear evidence of non-human technology and even going to the full extent of an actual craft. Now, what can they do with the craft? Is it something that's, that they can fly? Is, you know, is it something that they've just got there, they've got no idea even how to switch the thing on? That's a different question. But I think it is pretty clearly stated by a lot of these people that you know this no, it's not ambiguous there's actual you know non-human tech there which which is probably you know the answer to the question of are we alone in the universe and funnily enough there was uh colm kelleher uh dr colm kelleher i've talked about um on the show quite a bit recently we talked about his his work on uh cattle mutilations and things like that and how how credible His work and his approach to this topic actually is another person who's been involved in all of these top-level government programs for, I don't know, I guess it's decades now. Um, So, again, highly credible individual. And uh, he was actually on the um, Weaponized podcast with uh, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp. And I've just pulled up a little clip here. It's just a very short clip. Um, where Jeremy Corbell basically asks him point blank about what I was just talking about. Like how kind of clear is it? You know, how are we talking? Is it, is, well, I'll just play the clip and it sort of speaks for itself. If I can get it to work.
1: Have downed UFOs from unknown origin that they've been trying and are trying to reverse engineer and exploit those technologies understand the physics and understand that technology. Do we have that to work with I can't talk about that,
0: but the answer is yes. (laughs) And that's basically, (laughs) that says it all. And I'd recommend people check out. I've actually, so far, because that only came out, I think it was uh, last night. It's very recent anyway. Um, I'd recommend people check out the full episode. That's the Weaponized uh, podcast. But that particular clip there is about as definitive as as I've heard him talk about. And he actually goes on. I've heard about a six-minute clip of, of that segment. And he goes on to be sort of asked about that in a bit more detail. And he, he repeats the same thing again later on. And, you know, that, that seems pretty clear that there is, you know, proper, unambiguous non-human technology that is known about and being held, which is, is pretty mind-boggling, really, if you think about it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right, Frank, because we're thinking about this all the time. And it is just difficult to get to, you know, because we're in it as it were, or a lot of people listening to this are in it, you sort of have to accept it and move on to discuss the next thing but, uh, funny enough, uh, I was at that meeting with Ash, uh, you know, one of the U- UFO meetings he does in Manchester, you regular, and he had a journalist guy down from the Guardian fully enough, well connected as our Ash as we know, and we were talking to him and I, I was explaining about it and I thought as I was talking to him, I had to say I said, oh, look, I know this sounds pretty crazy but you know, but we used to talk about but the enormity of and if I could feel the enormity of what I was saying or the implication, you know, because I was having to explain it to somebody. But this is absolutely Megan, he was okay, this guy, you know, he knew about the subject and we weren't going, you know, telling and it didn't sound very woo to him, I'm sure. But I just thought to myself, this is actually crazy. You know, when you actually come back to and I think, as I've said a few times on the show, I compartmentalise it. And I probably haven't really realised the implications of it myself fully. Because you don't do because you, your mind gets to a certain point, you think you know you, you're going a massive spray. What it could mean, but it is absolutely mega. I mean, what valleys must have been here and there again in these notes, and then what Calm Keller is saying—it's crazy. Remember, Colm Keller, he actually was also we've talked about this before. He actually, uh, you know, knew a lot about paranormal stuff and was quite knowledgeable about something that. Uh, the cia guy what's his name jim uh, jim semivan but he'd seen as well so he's well versed in all this this area and again we see this this sort of side crossover again and this consciousness crossover so yeah it is uh, quite it is quite mind- jaw dropping i suppose when you start to think
0: yeah it really is and like you say i'm often the same you know i'm focused in on these all these various different saps and little government programs that the you know i suppose from the outside perspective from a a regular member of the public you know all of these acronyms and everything it it sounds like a you know a a sort of labyrinth of information that's difficult to navigate and and i'm in that labyrinth a lot of the time but when you do just take a step back and you know I, i was i was i think we were talking about this the other day dave i was reading back on the Wilson Davis notes bearing in mind all of the corroboration that's basically happened very recently as well. If you think about it, it's only been over the last, what, like six months that it's become so clear. Mm -hmm. All the various, like Oak Shannon coming forward to say that, yeah, you know, the part that he is sort of associated with in the notes is absolutely correct. And, um, all of the various different bits within Jacques Vallée's book that, that again, further corroborate everything. Some of the comments from people like Gary Nolan and a lot of the other people sort of behind the scenes who were affiliated with all the names mentioned in the notes. When you actually read it back, bearing in mind all of that, because I suppose a year ago when I read this back, you know when I, when i read the notes i'd be kind of like yeah maybe sort of thing but with all the corroborations that have, have come out over the last sort of 6 months or year it, you read it in a different light you know and it's absolutely fascinating to think about um, just the, like you say the enormity of what's actually at stake there you know, I, I've often talked about it like uh, crash retrieval programs could mean anything. You know, when we're talking about, you know, material, exotic materials, well, I could just be a lump of rock or something. But I, I think the more you dig into it, it, it does appear that there's a lot more to it than that. We probably are actually looking at some kind of intact craft. The interesting thing is in the following part of that interview with Colin Kelleher, he says that that basically answers the question I'm paraphrasing that that answers the question as to basically whether or not we're alone in the universe, and it opens the door to serious scientific investigation, and the admission that that is the case that they've got something that is unambiguously non human would would allow that science to actually go, "Oh, okay, then because you know when you hear about scientists, mainstream scientists, and things discussing this topic they don't feel like they've been given the go-ahead really because it's still basically seen as there's still a stigma and whatnot and people don't really want to jump in with both feet but as soon as that that information comes out that there is something unambiguously non-human it really does open the door to a lot more kind of you know I, I guess like people you know around the world having to grapple with that reality and science as, it, as, as a whole having to grasp that reality and, and actually dig into it. and But what Colm doesn't necessarily say is that what they have gives you all the answers to where they're coming from, why they're here, how do they do it, how does it even work. But it's pretty clear from what he's talking about and various other people like Eric Davis and a lot of the people in that crowd of real top-level scientists who've been involved, they're all sort of saying, the, there isn't really a question as to whether we're, we're alone in the universe. This stuff does exist, and then the question sort of becomes, you know, how how far does the understanding actually go? You know, have, have they figured out where this stuff's coming from? Has there been communication? I know you've talked about this with your your famous uh levels, <laughs> the levels of disclosure, uh-huh. and all that kind of thing. As uh, you know, and. And and that that becomes the the really big question. And I think you know, if if it indeed is the case that the unambiguous evidence of non-human tech, non-human intelligence does exist and is being kept secret, I think it's it's time to sort of you know crack that open and allow humanity to grapple with the reality of that, and science to to dig into that and and you know put the best foot forward in figuring out what's going on. <laughs>
1: I mean, connecting that, that one up, Frank, it's really interesting because we're essentially talking about our not understanding the enormity of it and then people making it. But I do know if, again, I was talking about we we're talking about this in the meeting we had with Ash, and uh, there was a thing in the war, I remember studying this at uni, about uh, German populations' reaction to the Holocaust. Now, I don't want to get too heavy here, but it was, it's an interesting point. And it was something some philosophers called the will to be ignorant of the German population. They knew what was going on, they knew Jewish people were being disappeared in other groups, but they didn't really want to acknowledge it because of the shock and complicity that that would give them in the, this horrible thing that was happening. And so they basically didn't want to know because it was going to shock them and it was something they didn't want to know if it was painful to them or whatever. Now if you think about that, and that's pretty similar, in, not quite with the horrible undertones, the genocide undertones, but the same thing. I think there's a lot of this in the general population in our sort of shared consciousness about this, in the news and everything. People don't want to acknowledge it. Because the more real it gets, people have got to start thinking in a very different... And I don't think anybody wants to do it. I don't think the general public wants to do it. be it The people who don't really care or the more educated professional classes, the, edgy, the chattering classes in the media. All these other people, don't want to, because you've, as we've just been talking about, think what it means. It means something pretty significant. And again, going back to the levels of disclosure, it's one thing to think there's another race, that's mind-blowing, or another species, another tech, that's mind-blowing enough as it is. But in terms of what does that mean, and our position in the universe, and all this stuff, and is there some also some other hidden truth about ourselves we don't know? People, I think, I've come to believe this about why the press don't report it and all the rest of it. I think there's a natural psychological break with sort of applying ourselves, both the press and the public, and other people in this topic, and that will to be ignorant concepts. Not acknowledging it's painful. I've been thinking increasingly about it uh, about it being a factor.
0: Yeah, definitely. But an interesting kind of counterpoint to that as well. I, I do agree with you that that definitely is is something that's going on um but an interesting kind of counterpoint to it is also how adaptable humans actually are and have proven to be over the you know the last sort of 100 years i guess you could say i was actually talking about this on twitter um with uh, the uh, brilliantly named you for you naught with pancakes <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah 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 so shout shout out you for naught with pancakes Absolutely, if you're listening good um, but, yeah, we were sort of discussing something along these lines. We were saying, I, I said something like, you know, the, the massive game changes that have happened in my lifetime, such as, you know, mobile phones, the internet, and all the rest of it. You know, the, the entire way that we live our lives has changed so much because of those things. And, and he quite rightly said, well, yeah, that's very true, but also think about what happened, you know, in the Second World War. You know, the entire fabric of of human life was completely just ripped apart and rebuilt and humans bounced back from that and came out stronger from it. you know and and that is not to be underestimated because obviously the, the the horrific nature of what happened during that several years period, you know what I mean it was it was a, a massive you know change for, for near enough there was very few people unaffected by that period on on the entire planet. And if, if we can bounce back from that, you know, it sort of says a lot about how adaptable we can be to complete, you know, changes. And, um, you know, I like to think that if, if we were faced with the, you know, the, the, the kind of realization that we weren't alone in the universe, we would probably just adapt to that. And within 10 years, it'd just be the new normal. And you know what I mean? (laughs) People would just crack on with life and, you know, I was saying, there's that that old uh, proverb. What is it now? If I can remember it right, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. It was like a a Buddhist yeah, uh, uh, a Buddhist so, monk saying. Yeah. And and, and I, I was I was saying on Twitter, it's a bit like that for me with disclosure. You know, we think of it as this like, you know, everything's going to be like we we do have that pent up thing, like in our collective consciousness, as it were. You know, that if that ever happened you know there'd be mass panic and you know what i mean all these types of things people wouldn't show up for work in the morning but i sort of think at the end of the day like you know during the the world wars you know people kind of still carried on and you know you you still have to deal with the the basic necessities of life and perhaps that's what it would be you know before disclosure you chop wood and carry water after disclosure well you chop wood and carry water perhaps with a bit of help from advanced technology you know
1: yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, you're right about COVID, because uh, the amount of how we all adapted to that, wearing masks, doing this, doing that, and everybody it was normal in the end, wasn't it? And so you're right, we are very adaptable, and that is true. You've still got to feed everybody, feed your kids, you know, go to work, all the rest of it. And I suppose it's how much people do think about these, as uh, uh, important as they are. Maybe, maybe, maybe they just don't think about them, you know? So... So at the end of the day, maybe what we're saying is, or what you're saying is a good point, is the fear is worse than the actual reality. So the worry about what it might mean, and particularly, I suppose, from some of the more sort of opinion form and sections of society, is actually much worse than the, act- the reality, like you say, it'll just become part of the new normal, I suppose, you know. Now the difference again with that will to be ignorant as well, or the, the potential difference—is there was quite a terrible secret and a terrible guilt there. You could argue for the people, you know, in Germany—not everybody, because he wasn't there for everything—but you know, there was actually something to that. It's not quite as obvious with a UFO thing. If there is that, there might be some horrible truth. But by that. It's not a matter of guilt or whatever. It's just a matter of change, and so yeah, maybe the fear—that's a really interesting point, now, Frank. Maybe the fear of it is worse than the actuality. And I love that chop. I haven't heard that before. I've heard a lot of things about chop wood, <laughs> a bit water. That's brilliant, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess the kind of crux of it is, you know, as, as humans, we do sort of fear change you know, which is kind of what you were saying. But at the same time, when change does present itself, we tend to do all right at, at, at dealing with it, don't we? And we do bounce back pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, you,
1: th- go on, sorry,
0: was, uh, yeah, I was just going to say there was a few other bits. I think you were mentioning uh, some some interesting comments uh, from, from Rick Doughty uh, as well, who obviously we do take with a, a, a bit of a pinch of salt but um i don't know if there's any of those that you'd like to kind of go into that links into well, all of this well well i think there's a lot of things
1: yeah there's quite a lot of things he brought up it was on a show a thomas fessler's show about two weeks ago runs a show called disclosure tonight and rick doughty uh, pops up uh, occasionally on that show and he really says some very interesting stuff because the interesting thing with Doughty he is well-connected. Uh, he worked for Hal Pultoff for a time at the NIDS project. He worked for him for, so, for some time. He's well-connected. He's an ex-intelligence officer, and he does have connections, apparently, according to him, and, and I believe this. He, he, he runs a disclosure project with ex-military uh, ex sort of people, and they're reporting to, to Senator Rubio's staff and briefing them. So now, he has also been linked with UFO disinformation all the rest of it. And a lot of the community really don't like him and all the rest of it. But he does say some interesting things. And if he is a disinfo agent, I suppose the question is, what is he trying to do? He's not some massive debunker. He doesn't really try and spit enmity. But maybe he tells... he, may, he And I don't know about this. He seems a nice book, But maybe he tells a lot of truth in his stuff. But then at the end, twists it a little bit to take people off the scent or particulars or maybe there's that because we see a lot of those people in the community but he did say a few interesting points and I'll just, just go through there's a couple of ones. to go on. first thing he said was he'd had information three Air Force colonels had come to him who were part of the objects that had been shot down and uh, they said that these objects you know not the Chinese balloon the other three he said these objects had manoeuvred they had a distinct signal that they know normally is associated with non-human intelligence craft uh, the objects were actually recovered, and uh, so they actually reported that, and they're going to talk to Rubio staffers and report, it, you know, via Doerty. So that's a very interesting. We don't know about that, but that just shows a whole new potential side of things. I'm only saying these things so that we can think about what they might mean. He also said, with hearings, of course, but uh, basically, the intelligence committee one will be quite tasty. It might look at the objects, but it'll also go wider. But his group and another group have been asked by Rubio staffers, and presumably others who are doing that, to give some detailed questions. So those Senate Intelligence Committee hearings might be good. He also postulated there'll be a Congressional Oversight woman, that's with Tim Birchett, and also one on the Transport Committee uh, as well, which is quite interesting. Uh, and so that with Carson, who actually was the, the person who presided over the original set, I think it's Congressman Carson, who presided over the original hearings that were held, uh, some transport would be air safety, so that's something quite interesting to talk about. Uh, he also talks about the group Group K, uh, K group, which is actually very significant indeed. Because, uh, if you remember, Ross Coulthard mentioned them recently, and he said they were like, uh, you know, it'd make people uh, get very worried. I think I'm not going to say what he actually said, but get extremely worried if they their name was mentioned, and according to Dougherty, he was, he had to get this information sort of pulled out of him. But a part of this Group K had been going for some time, a long time, and, and he advised them as like the managed contractors for the government and advised the government. But as things went on and he was pressed, they are actually quite a senior group, who were actually like a core group almost, who advised the government at the exact level. He said they can pull all the levers Sometimes the exec, they would know more than the president. They would brief some presidents on things, but not uh, on all things. And it was, you know, it was quite an incredible revelation for me in the end about this core group that existed at a very senior level. And it sounded a lot like MGA-12 to me, but the point was they were working with the exec team and they were the ones maybe advising different departments and the presidential staff on a need-to-know basis about things that came up and that again was another quite a big revelation if you think about what valet was talking about earlier around that sort of idea reverse engineering programs and again this core group the core group in loose threads you know that this idea of this group who actually does know what's going on and actually uh you know he's, he's, he's challenging around that and he also mentioned that on the back of that something around uh the, the intelligence groups themselves And he said about disclosure. Now, the problem around disclosure is, even if some people want to do it, and he said there is a sort of plan on the table from some people in the faction who want to disclose, but it's probably got the endorsement of a few people, but it's getting all the agencies to play ball. And he said it used to be the CIA that was in charge of it, but now it's the DIA, the Defence Intelligence Agency. And the problem they've got, they're sort of neutral on it, really, but apparently the Air Force and the Space Force and a couple of others don't want to play ball on this issue. So even let's say there is a disclosure plan in place and it's endorsed by some quite important people, actually, it's very difficult to get those agencies to cough up because apparently they resort to, they report to the executive teams, i.e. the government and not Congress. So they're not directly accountable to Congress in that way for the day-to-day actions. So, it just starts to show you the complexity of trying to get disclosure on these issues. So, I, I sort of thought those two things that Doughty raised really showed uh, the difficulties we might face in actually getting the truth out of these people. Even though I think Congress is a big weapon, it just shows how hard it is to get all the right pieces in place to get the truth out there. But the idea of this. Uh, Group K was just incredible to me, actually. But uh, I haven't really... I've tried not to go into too much detail. He went into a bit more. But essentially, they were at that exact level and existed to advise the government. And not all presidents were read in. Apparently, he was saying a lot of presidents, since Kennedy, didn't really trust the intelligence community all the way. And only a few people were actually read in all the way, which, again, we've sort of talked about it before. But now it's pretty crazy, that that the presidents don't trust the intelligence community, and if you think about bringing it right up to the present, apparently, according to Chris Sharp, Ross Coulter, but somebody from Naval Intelligence who's rolled in to the President's office and said, you do know, as I said the other day, that the Air Force are lying to you, Mr. President. And you know, they are covering things up, and there is a program, and you need to know about it. And now he's set up, exec- think of the impact of that, and he set up this executive team. And think about that, what I've just described about getting all these different details and on guard. This might be very much evidence of this massive fight we're seeing going on behind the scenes of what's happening. And again, I suppose the question that brings us to is we're in this hiatus, as it were, at the moment where nothing's happening. What is the actual state of play? Anyway, so what do you think of that, Frank? Anyway, before I go on about
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, very, very interesting. I mean, I think the thing with, with Rick Doty, obviously, his name, you know, some would say has, has been forever tarnished by his, his his prior involvement with, you know, disinformation uh, efforts and, and things like that. But, you know, I, I don't necessarily think of it as everything that comes out of his mouth is not to be trusted. There could be some interesting bits in there which you know are worth considering and my my thinking with with rick Doty is that he clearly seems like a, a a nice bloke you know very friendly whenever you hear him on podcasts and stuff like that and I, I i don't necessarily think that he is actively spreading bad information for any particular reason but i think my concern with it is as rick Doty himself has said when it comes to his actual attempts of of feeding dodgy information to people as part of his actual official roles, they do include a mix of real information and false information. And even if that's not what he's actively currently doing as part of a a new role to spread disinformation in the UFO community or whatever, maybe he's turned over a new leaf and, and now he's trying to actually get good information out there we don't know how much of the information he's been given over the years could have also been a similar thing you know in terms of he's been given the same tactic he's been given let's say i don't know 60 70% real information 30 40% totally wrong information to kind of help muddy the waters so that that's basically my my thoughts on it um but as you say it's, it's always interesting to listen to and then it's up to your own discernment i guess to be able to figure out separate the the wheat from the chaff, uh, as it were.
1: Yeah, I mean, mean, he's interesting, isn't Rick Doughty? I mean, the question, I mean, I like Rick Doughty. I like listening to him and I find him very credible. However, I think you've got to ask the question, what is the outcome of what he says? I think with all these more subtle, if they are people, are disinformation people, and they might not be, but what is the outcome? The outcome with Rick Doughty is you get some really good information on the nuts and bolts of what's happening within the government. But then at the end of it, it always seems to have an extra woo twist on it. So, for instance, there's all these very strange aliens in Area 50, you know, that he's seen. There's all these very weird occurrences that have gone on. Uh, And at the end of his stories, or like the balloon thing, for instance, he's saying that, you know, uh, and I do, but that sounded true, what he was saying. But let's just check that example. We're now saying these craft are now all, you know, extraterrestrial craft. There's a good chance they have been recovered. The end result of that is, is for us in the community if we start repeating what rick says to the m degree we all sound a bit crazy don't we or we all sound as if we're really reaching and maybe that's the sort of impact he has. again there's other people i can think of in the field who you know who are very good of uh, you know broken a lot of stories but they're always saying oh well the, the government's pretty incompetent so they couldn't plan that i don't think that's quite i don't think that's how they do things and they pour cold water on things at crucial moments when I think the fire needs to be applied. Now, they just might be being legitimate commentators and it's a legitimate position. But equally, that could be disinformation. So that's the problem, I suppose. The only way you can tell is what is the output. Now, Rick might be telling the truth. That might, might be leaves. It might be part of the stuff he's doing on Gaia to sensationalize things, you know, because he's got a big media career now. And similarly with other people, I suppose the only way you can judge is what is the end product or what they say. saying, what does he make you believe. I mean, some disinfo is a bit more obvious. And, you know, people say, no, there's nothing to it at all. And again, they could be legitimate people. Or you've got the people who are always causing trouble on UFO Twitter. And they may be being wound up by somebody behind the scenes. And that causes dissension and splits the community. We can see that. But this more subtle stuff, I don't know. But I do think it is interesting. He did seem to know quite a bit about that group, K. But again, I suppose he would be very convincing if he if he did. I suppose. Well, yeah, yeah. That DIA stuff was interesting as well. But anyway, so yeah, I am actually yeah. saying really, Frank. I suppose.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Like I say, always, always interesting to take in. I try and take things in from all angles, really. And at the end of the day, people who are who are making claims and and, and whatnot, it all comes out in the wash in the end. You know what I mean? Like you can go off people's track records. If somebody says, "Oh, this thing is this, this, this definitely going to happen," and and this is the case, and then it turns out six months down the line that what they said actually is not true at all, then you just have to kind of bear that in mind, then, don't you, for, for going forward? Pe- you know, people's track records can speak for themselves, and um yeah, the old. Uh, the old classic, which I think I'm probably going to end up getting tattooed one day, is uh, John Ramirez's his, his, uh, classic phrase, embrace widely, hold lightly. Oh, yeah, Very important yeah, to hold yeah, li- hold yeah, lightly yeah. in this topic, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, now, do you know what, Dave? We've been rambling on for a while here, so uh, we're probably best wrapping up soon. Is there any well, other bits you wanted yeah, to get well, in? All
1: I wanted to do is just maybe, if we can, we'll just finish it off with a few thoughts because I think our discussion sort of mirrors the fact we are in a bit of a... Not because not, not we've just gone on with ourselves, but because... We're just speculating on what it could be, but it might be worth just trying to draw a couple of conclusions from what what we've been talking about, really. So I think the first thing is we've seen multiple, you know, confirmations of Wilson Davis at the moment, uh, and we, you know, and that that I think puts pressure on a lot of the people who may be the secret keepers. So what is the state of play? We've got uh, hearings imminent. We've got more revelations coming out. As I said, we've got presidential involvement. So to me, this all seems to be a rising momentum. We've got Lou's book coming out, that other book we talked about today. And I, as I was saying earlier, I think this core group of uh, helpers, or the core group and their helpers, as it were, I think they're in some legal jeopardy now, and I think there's people who are under pressure. And I wonder whether they're hanging on, they're thinking you can't touch us, it's all, you know, superficial, or they're actually quite worried. And, and I just wonder what what is going to be the next step. It could be that they double down, or it could be that we start to see some cracks as these hearings come out. And I think the next hearings will be quite crucial because if we get a few whistleblowers coming through, like you said, we've worked on reverse engineering things, that could change it all. And I also think... That's why I think that I think there's been a bit of a worry in the community. There might be another disaster. Hopefully, it's terrible as it is, but you know, world disasters, political things, the Trump thing, Taiwan, all these issues. And, and I think they're worried that it'll take away from the centre stage they want for any revelations or hearings. I think they should forget about that. I think the, the revelations themselves will be strong enough to cut through if that's the case. And I think part of this, oh, it's not the right time. Is again part of the subtle breaks that are trying to be applied you know by the people who don't want it to come out so i think they should press forward and if that does if that does happen the next thing is what is the position if there is a crack in the position what's going to happen and it's a bit like in a sort of film where you see they're overrun at one position and then you know the soldiers or whatever and then they run back to the next defensive position and is the next defensive position yeah, well, we have got some of this stuff. We don't know where it's from, but we can't get it to work. We don't really know. We don't know who they are. Never spoken to them. You know, your guess is as good as ours, and they all scratch their heads collectively, publicly, but when in fact they actually know quite a lot, which comes back to your point earlier of how how good the obfuscation may be going on, or the cover-up may be. So I think, you know, we've got this, the state of play is increasing pressure, all these revelations coming out, and the question is, is, where will they crack and where will they go to in terms of the disclosure stakes if they have to? And that's the question, you know, that's the thing we'll probably be looking out for next. I mean, I may be being very optimistic. It might, nothing might happen as usual when we talk about the same thing next year, Frank. But, but assuming there is something afoot, which seems to be, that'll be interesting to watch out for
0: yeah definitely you know i'm actually quite i I love christmas at the best of times but i'm looking forward to our christmas episode you know the christmas roundtable at the end of this year like because i remember us saying that the the 2022 roundtable like there's lots of speculation obviously there were some pretty big things happened last year which we thought would have a knock-on effect to this year and you know so far i think well what would it have been january february pretty big in terms of like really quite big developments with the topic and you know the, the the shoot downs whatever they were and it got everybody talking and you know this talk of hearings and very you know definitive statements from a lot of the people who've been involved behind the scenes with these top government programs they seem to almost be getting more and more definitive like that Colm Kelleher clip i played before i've never heard him say anything no. that clearly before And um, you know it's just like and you've got to think if if they're willing to come out and say yes, there is absolutely unambiguous, you know, non-human tech. The questions are going to be asked as to well, okay, well, how how do you how do you know that? What what type of things have you seen? And, and perhaps little bits more information about all oh, that are going to come out. And for me, I think the, the Wilson Davis um, notes in general, you know, can't can't be underestimated. The importance of that. And I think at the moment, it's still pretty... I mean, I remember when I started the podcast, I didn't even know what they were. I remember I had one of the... I think it was like the second uh, guest I had on. I'm going back two years, believe it or not now. But uh, when when I first started the podcast, I had James Iron on. And I remember asking him, so these Wilson Davis notes, what's that all about then? (laughs) Uh, Obviously, fast forward about six months and I like properly dug into it all. And obviously by this point, I'm quite quite familiar with it all and the backstory and all the characters involved but if that was more widely known about by the public you know i think it is such a big thing Uh, considering how you know corroborated that those notes have actually been by this point you know so many of the key people who've been involved around those notes have, have basically come out and said yeah it's all all legit you know that is is pretty huge and th- as we know they were actually brought up in the last hearing and you know that's got a lot of people's the cogs turning in a lot of people's heads you know people who are in government people who are actually potentially going to be the ones to ask questions at future hearings and you know, all, all of that kind of thing is is going to be really interesting to see how it plays out this year. Now, obviously, the big bold predictions made about hearings in April might not happen. We might get hearings in I don't know October or something like that. But as I say, the Christmas roundtable is going to be pretty interesting, I think. And uh, we're either going to be cursing the lack of progress, or we're going to be talking about how amazing it's all been. Or uh, well, well, we'll we'll see, won't we? But uh, yeah, a yeah. lot to keep an eye on.
1: You're right. I mean, think about it in Valet's deck decade or the decade these notes were written in think what they would have thought of all the stuff that's happening almost on a weekly basis we're seeing now it's only because we're so used to it we want to see more We can't stand back and see how momentous it is legislation all these different things happening revelations of people like you've just said it's absolutely incredible again if you take the objective step back So yeah frank you're right i had a christmas uh, round table god knows if i do another gross of christmas present well that'll say my God, it might be—I uh, don't know—it might be very uh, enlightening indeed.
0: Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm looking for. I'm going to do definitely do that again. I think you'll all reprise your roles as the yeah, various yeah, ghosts yeah. Of, of of Christmas. Yeah. It was uh, it was really good last year. I really enjoyed doing it, so we'll do that again. And the, the Christmas roundtable, hopefully, we'll have a lot to discuss. Uh, we'll just have to see how it all plays out. But what I was going to say earlier, as well, I forgot to mention. Um, The conversation we've had today kind of leads us on to another chat, perhaps at some point uh, on a separate episode where we can talk about, you know, the actual progress that may have been made behind the scenes and like how much of this stuff do we actually think that they have figured out? And obviously, you know, it, it is very sort of plainly stated by a lot of the people who are in a position to know that this stuff does exist. I think it gets very interesting when you start thinking about all right, it does exist, there isn't a question about that for a lot of these people, but how far have they actually got? Like, have they managed to get any of the, the tech operable? Have they managed to replicate it? Have they managed to perhaps even communicate with any any beings? You know, is there actually bodies or not? They, I think there's a lot more of a grey area, really, when it comes to... Although there's not as much of a consensus, should I say, uh, on those kind of questions, with a lot of the people who are in in positions to know and who have been in posi- uh, positions to know, do you know what I mean? Like, there's uh, some people seem to think that that, that it's all been very successful. It, they've they managed to replicate it. They're contacting beings and they have an alliance with the beings, but they don't want to. They don't want to share that with the rest of humanity. Other people think that they've, they don't even know where to start, and it's so advanced they've not even figured out how to switch the thing on. So I think that would be. Um, without going too far into it right now, I think that would be a great conversation to have uh, down the line if you're up for it, mate.
1: I agree with you because that's what I was getting at. I don't think that they've not made they've, that they've made as little progress as they say, but obviously I don't think it's you a know, massive thing either. So I, th- I think that's a really, really important point. Now. And I also think, just as a final point, as we've been talking about the legal jeopardy, just as it's fell in the conversation, wonder if it's time now to strategically raise the finger of amnesty again, people. Because if you're getting a bit hot and bothered uh, and, you know, uh, pulling at your collar, worrying, if somebody says, here's the exit door, uh, then uh, the tax office do that a lot of the time. They announce an amnesty and all the tax people who thought they were going to get it done all rushed to pay the taxes. Yeah, This might be a case here uh, of that. So I wonder if that that might rear its head again. But you're right, Frank. We should, that is a real case. Because that'd be the obvious defence they'd make. Oh, we don't, we don't understand it. Like, we don't understand it. So sorry, but we don't understand it. And you know, yeah. So that's a really good point. I'd love to do that, Frank. And uh, yeah, yeah, very good.
0: Yeah, that that's it. It's a good, it's a good way of kind of getting out of having of having a, a further conversation with the public and humanity at large. But the question is you know is that the case maybe it is maybe they've made very significant progress and yeah we'll save that for another day eh? so uh anyway yeah it's been a lot of fun to to chat there and uh leave it for there for now eh
1: that's great frank thanks a lot i really enjoyed a bit more discursive tonight but hopefully people like to listen to our meandrings anyway so it's very i I really enjoyed it anyway and it's good to kick these things around
0: yeah top stuff mate really good and uh looking forward to doing that part two kind of thing i'll uh (laughs) Yeah, catch up with you in a bit. Okay, cheers
1: Frank. See you later, mate. Bye. See you now, mate. UFO people
0: podcast.